Charles Darwin's theory of natural selection states that the traits passed on are those with positive attributes for their environment. So what was Hollywood thinking when they adapted A Christmas Carol? Welcome to Unnatural Selection, a podcast about film adaptations of books, the weird decisions Hollywood makes in the process, what makes an adaptation good, faithful, and less commonly, good and faithful. I'm your host, Emma. Uh, as always, I use any pronouns, and today I am joined by Juliet. Juliet, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Juliet, who you might know from the four times a year Christmas podcast, I'll Be Pod for Castmas, where we take Christmas media and classic literature and put them together, which, you know, <laughs> might be relevant to things today. And the Office Hours podcast over on the Moonshot Network's Patreon at patreon.com slash moonshot network. Uh, I use they and the variety of pronouns. Sweet. Yep, so you are on today for very exciting purposes. This is our December episode, and we are talking <laughs> classic literature today. We are going to be talking about Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And there are many, many an adaptation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. We've but... watched all of them. Yes, we've watched every single one. <laughs> um... for, for the next 16 months, we will be reviewing <laughs> one adaptation a month. Yep. <laughs> I've got Juliet on the books for the next like two years. Don't worry. <laughs> for the next sixteen years, we'll be reviewing <laughs> one every December. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I feel like that would be a like like death blar worst worst idea of all time. Like like sort of you know like a stunt podcast yep. sort of thing where it's just like listen for the rest of our lives. We will review A Christmas Carol every December. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but yes, so today we are covering The Muppets Christmas Carol. <laughs> um, but I do want to ask, what is your favorite adaptation of A Christmas Carol? You know, I think... I think my favorite adaptation of A Christmas Carol is... The one that plays in your head when you read or listen to Dickens' Christmas Carol, if that makes That's sense. That's fair. Yeah. It, and second favorite is probably the Muppet one, in part because I, I didn't grow up with it. Um, I actually just got into it a few years ago. I like it quite a lot. I've watched it twice. I I watched it on Thanksgiving and then I watched it again last night for, for a date. Um, which is a, a fun experience. It's a nice movie to share with people. It's beloved by, I think, our cohort. Uh, <laughs> yep. It it's it's um it has a lot of the good things about the Muppets, and a lot of the good things about A Christmas Carol, if not all of the good things about both. Yeah. If it Agreed. Makes sense. Yeah. I only watched it for the first time last year. Mm -hmm. um, 
my partner likes it. And I was like, yeah, I want to watch The Muppets Christmas Carol. And it was a delight. My family usually spends, like, Christmas Day, we'll have movies playing in the background the whole day, and there will be at least, like, five different versions of A Christmas Carol throughout the day. Because I know we watch Scrooge a lot, which is, like, the musical one, um, which the songs are very pretty in. And my dad is diehard for Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. I haven't seen that one. Yep. The one that I feel like slightly negligent in not seeing is the Jim Carrey kind of Polar Express. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen that one, one either. But also, like life's sh- short. <laughs> you know, there are only so many Christmas carols to watch. Uh, that movie. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, so let's 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 get into it. Let's get into the Muppets Christmas Carol and Charles Dickens A Christmas Carol. Um, mm-hmm. I will start by reading a short synopsis of the book and then the movie. So here is our book synopsis. A Christmas Carol recounts the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, an elderly miser who is visited by the ghost of his former business partner Jacob Marley and the spirits of Christmas past, present, and yet to come. After their visits, Scrooge is transformed into a kinder, gentler man. And then our Muppets version. The Muppets perform the classic Dickens holiday tale, with Kermit the Frog playing Bob Cratchit, the put-upon clerk of stingy Ebenezer Scrooge, Michael Caine. Other Muppets, Mix Piggy, Gonzo, Fozzie Bear, and Sam the Eagle, weave in and out of the story while Scrooge receives visits from the spirits of three Christmases, past, present, and future. They show him the error of his self-serving ways, but the miserable old man seems to be past any hope of redemption and happiness. (laughs) Much darker synopsis for the Muppets. The idea that Scrooge is, like, de facto unredeemable, I think is (laughs) a... uh, interesting and potentially more compelling place to start the story. Yeah, definitely. It's easy to forget, or possibly hard to believe, one or the other, that when people first read this story, like, the idea of Ebenezer Scrooge isn't already tied to the idea of, like, terrible man who gets redeemed. Mm-hmm. Like, he was just a terrible but... man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's just like, oh, yeah, that's, that's a guy. It's a guy who lives in London who foreclosed on, you know, your cousin uh, on Christmas Day last year. You know, just this this sort of thing. Yep. Um, I assume many of our listeners will at least be familiar with the basic plot of A Christmas Carol. But either way, would you like to give us a, a summary of the plot of the book? So the book follows a... The summary of the book, I think is entailed in its structure, if that makes sense, Uh, which is we have our first act of kind of setting the stage of London, of Scrooge as a moneylender, of it being the day before Christmas, and Scrooge being resistant to all forms of kindness, charity, compassion, warmth. He's literally just like so cold. He makes everything cold around him. He's got a, oh, what's the character? The the snow miser, right? 
Yeah, like everything he touches, <laughs> like like gets worse. Uh, gets colder. Uh, people are colder to 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 like know him or be be around him. Uh, there's a lot of these to me kind of like classic scenes of like, oh, what what should what should we put you down for for this charity? And he says nothing. And they're like, oh, you wish to be re- remain anonymous. He's like, I wish to re- be remain left alone and you yeah. know all the, all these things the other thing important is how the story begins which classically is marley was dead to begin with and then this kind of digression about marley being dead as a doornail and whether or not doornails should be the thing to which death is like compared to and dickens is Dickens introduces a stronger narratorial voice than I think I see in some other of Dickens's work mm-hmm. where you get like a first person narrator. So in like Great Expectations, we are limited by the world seen through the eyes of Pip. Whereas here we get Charles Dickens as a voice to himself. We, we get the narrator as a voice to himself, which is something that I think the Muppet Christmas Carol gets more right than basically any other adaptation, which doesn't feature a Charles Dickens character. Agreed. I'm very excited to talk about that. (laughs) And there's this consideration of starting not with Scrooge, but with Marley being dead in comparison to Hamlet, uh, (laughs) which... Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) I love that bit of like, the Hamlet wouldn't be... We wouldn't be scared and excited by the ghost if we didn't know for a fact that this man was dead before the start of the play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am notorious for loving Hamlet. Uh, so I will... <laughs> Lister at home, I just went on like a 45-minute tangent about Hamlet that we're cutting out of the podcast. <laughs> and, 45 and... minutes is... A conservative estimate when you consider that I also have a lot of thoughts on Hamlet. Maybe we can uh, reconvene and talk about one of, one of the many bad adaptations of there Hamlet so for many screen. bad ones. Uh, why did Olivier cast a woman younger than him to play his mother? Uh, anyways, so we get through all of this. Scrooge retires. He's got this big staircase, which is so wide that a hearse could fit up it going sideways. Uh, All of these things. Marley appears. The ghost appears. We have this, I think, one of the better, like, single chapter conversations in English literature. Uh, We get all of these things with, uh, okay, let's see here. Uh, dread apparition, why do you trouble me? <laughs> but why do spirits walk the earth and why do they come to me? Is its pattern strange to you? Or would you know, pursued the ghost, the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself? And finally ending with, is that the chance and hope you mentioned, Jacob? This This very fun thing of somebody come from hell, to tell you you need to change your ways or else. I this this perversion of 
typical reality, which it turns out is pretty, like, typical reality itself is already tragic. And so the perversion of reality, the, the intrusion of something magical into reality that we sometimes call the, the fantasia, this kind of step into magical realism and in, into fantasy, in this world, the world is already bad. And so this intrusion, this twisting on reality can make things hypothetically slightly better, but also kind of raises raises the stakes that like, okay, but if this doesn't go well, then you know hell is real <laughs> and you're going there. Like yeah. it's no longer even like a slightly open question. It's like, this is your destined place to be. These are the the the, the chains you wear, you made in life and everything. Anyways, uh, <laughs> I've spent a long time summarizing the, <laughs> the first chunk. Then we get three ghosts, the ghost of Christmas past, which shows Scrooge uh, visions of his own past Christmases and kind of his story growing up and him growing into being like a not very nice young man and then like adult man. Then Scrooge murders the ghost of Christmas past. <laughs> then the ghost of Christmas present. Uh, oh, then Scrooge murders the ghost of Christmas past. And then he's laying in bed waiting for the next, like, thing to happen. And there's this confusion as to how much time is taking place overnight. But he wakes up as though he's, like, snoring. And then he woke, woke himself. He eventually encounters the ghost of Christmas present, who shows him much kind of nicer scenes, all things considered, of, you know, both Fred and Bob Cratchit and all of these things. We get the ignorance and want scene, which also gets cut out of the Muppet Christmas Carol. And then we get to the ghost of Christmas yet to come or the ghost of Christmas future, who is a, a psychopomp figure, a like Grim Reaper-esque figure, this like shade who does not speak. And you get these dark and slightly unsettling scenes of people just kind of like laughing and being mercantile and I don't know it, it's it's unfriendly scenes that we eventually learn are things that take place right after Scrooge is dead and then he goes and he sees this this grave and he says a worthy place and then he has a very moving conversation with this shade with with the ghost of Christmas yet to come who does not speak and so it's Scrooge and the narrator and the, just descriptions of the shade pointing at things I and, and this this kind hand and Scrooge asks like hey is this the things that will come or things that may come because this is a very important difference if these are things that will come then nothing I do matters if the if these are things that may come then I might have a chance to change this. Scrooge is also unsure, like, am I actually already there? Have I been transported? Like, is this time travel that doesn't have a chance to go back? And so when he does finally wake up, he's like, okay, I've just been through three days and like 30 years of different time experiences and everything. And that's why when he opens the window and asks the boy what day it is he doesn't know what day it is in, in uh. this movie adaptation he still says the line but there's no like confusion as to what day it should be well like so that happens in every adaptation mm -hmm. 
every adaptation he does the you boy what day is it and every adaptation misses the fact that every spirit comes at 1 a.m mm-hmm. they're it's... all like 1 a.m 2 a.m 3 a.m and like yeah that's still gonna be disorienting especially when you've seen your past your present and your future but i think they really miss out the first time i read the actual novel was for a course in mm-hmm. college that was on time travel Oh. This was the first thing we read in our time travel literature <laughs> class. That's fun. Um, and I I think the extra disorientation of, like, the spirits all show up at 1 a.m. is just something that every adaptation misses on. It is weird that, like, it wouldn't take that much extra work. And in general, if you make your transitions Scrooge waking up from each of these things to then like experience these things, then you have this kind of almost Inception-esque like layering rather than like a smooth transition from one beat to the next. Yeah. Um, So sorry I went really long on my (laughs) summary of the book. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, you're good. And then Scrooge uh, changes and he becomes nice. And that's, once again, the day is is saved. (laughs) Christmas is happy. Mm -hmm. I do think it's interesting. And a thing that I had not really thought about until the last, like, four or five times that I read the story is how violent Scrooge is to the ghost of Christmas past. And how much death is heralded in, in the ghost of Christmas past. That it's not just we're getting death with Marley and the Ghost of Christmas Future, but in the Ghost of Christmas Past, there's the visitation with his sister, who mm-hmm. is like dead, with uh, Fuzzy Wig, who is who is dead, and like Scrooge, kind of seeing himself be way too cold and not a particularly nice person and getting broken up with and everything and then the ghost of christmas past is this little like flame-headed spirit (laughs) uh which is often depicted in different ways and in different adaptations and everything and in the book scrooge kills that spirit like like scrooge intentionally goes and extinguishes that spirit which is like another one of these weird things about like death and rejection as the ghost of christmas past i think in this adaptation to to a certain extent obviously it depends on whether uh the love is gone or or when love is gone is included in the particular production or not i know i had to i paused went to youtube watched Mm -hmm. when love is gone went back and unpaused But the Ghost of Christmas Past not just being about the magic of childhood, but about how somebody grows to be someone whose life is cold and filled with rejection and death, I think is an element that gets missing in in many aspects. Or at least it, it seems like it's missing to me, even in something that has when love is gone in it. Because yeah. it's not just like, oh, I had this love when I was a child and now I don't as an adult. But it's like, oh, even as a child, I was learning, <laughs> like, rejection and death and, like, also living rejection as a as a person. 
Yeah, I think that's like a really... So uh, the Muppets Christmas Carol does like your standard beats that you see. You see him lonely at school and not going home for the holidays. You see him at the Christmas party where he's apprenticing and you see him with uh, Belle, the woman he loved and lost. But what they skip out on, they skip out on little elements in each of these that I think the book really shows you more like Scrooge was not born this unhappy man because we get the scene in the book where his sister comes and gets him from school. (laughs) He's not there alone the whole time. So you see that he had this connection with his sister, which also gives more context for, okay, this is why his nephew is still trying to wish him a happy Christmas every year, because clearly Scrooge meant a lot to his sister. And you get that hint that, oh, he's been at school this whole time because his father was cruel and unloving and is having his own change of heart and bringing him home. And maybe there's a little bit of, like, hurt people hurt people or, mm-hmm. you know, like, like generational cycles of, of trauma and different things. I found yeah. it really interesting that Scrooge, talking about his sisters, like, huh, she died. She had children, maybe? And then mm-hmm. the Coaster Christmas Pass is like, your, yeah, nephew, your nephew, Fred, who we who came by earlier today to wish you a Merry Christmas and invite you over for dinner? And Scrooge is like, oh, that's why he's my nephew. And it's just yeah. like, bro, yeah. are you good? Are you, how, how old mm-hmm. are you? Are you like, are you... Are you sure you're okay? Senile? Uh, (laughs) Or just, like, the kind of isolation that comes with with certain things. And then, like, at least, I don't know, not to talk about COVID, but (laughs) I've I've certainly seen people who have become more isolated. And then, like, the memory of even people who are, like, closely connected to you. I don't know. There's there's something about this, this coldness has built this, like isolating aura around him such that I don't know that he would know like Bob Cratchit's wife and kids names yeah. like if it wasn't revealed by like the narrator and the spirit it it seems like he doesn't have any connection to even himself in that when the this is another bit that I, I feel like they could have fit in the Muppet version but they didn't when the uh charity solicitors come in um like mm-hmm. american solicitors not like british solicitors and they're like oh are we talking to mr scrooge or to mr marley like and the scrooge is like i don't care yeah you you could you could be talking to anybody like my name is not important to me other people's names are not important to me whatever pe- people exist in kind of a continuous vacuum and the only thing that exists is making some money off of them, but I don't even find joy in doing that the way Marley did. For me, it's just trotting along (laughs) one step Mm -hmm. at a time, proceeding forward kind of legalistically. Yeah, because it's also made very clear that Scrooge does nothing for himself throughout the book. Even when people are selling his things after he dies, they're not worth like anything it talks about him having the most meager fire in his fireplace when he gets mm-hmm. home because he doesn't want to burn a lot of coal 
he doesn't even live in a house that he bought. He lives in Marley's old house. So the implication here is that Marley left Scrooge the house in his will. And that's why Scrooge lives there. He didn't have to buy a house. He was left this by his business partner. And that's why he lives there. And if I remember right, he like rents out parts of the house's offices. I... <laughs> In, in the movie, he's eating this, like, bread and cheese and everything. And, like, presumably he, he has a somewhat varied diet because he accuses Marley of being uh, a factor of just, like... Yeah, because uh, in the know, book, he goes to the pub potato. before he goes home. <laughs> he leaves work, he goes to the pub and has a meal. He goes home, he puts on his pajamas, and he has more porridge. <laughs> and just, like, this gruel. And I'm like, I guess that's what you ate back then, but also... Bro, <laughs> if you're not making money, like, if you're not, by, I don't know, the, mm -hmm. the joylessness of the existence, the kind of hell already on earth, mm -hmm. has a lot of question, like, redemption helps everyone in the sense of Scrooge is very generous to, to everyone and, you know, if we were speaking from an economics perspective, it's good when you spend money because then it, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, rather rather than sitting on it. But the idea that Scrooge himself is able to actually live a life at the end of the story, where at the beginning he really isn't, and I wonder whether like that's also part of the like instruction instructional nature of of the story that like. We're supposed to carry forward, hey, not just be kind to other people, but there are lots of people who just fundamentally aren't living life because they aren't connected to Christmas. And Christmas is a nice reminder to like, hey, are are you? Or mm -hmm. are you just like already in hell and then eventually you'll go to hell? I We're talking a lot yeah, about, or I'm like talking a lot about Christian hell. Uh, yeah. It's just well, like a thing in these stories. <laughs> I mean, there's a line somewhere in here, I think it's the Ghost of Christmas Present that says it, where it is essentially, you have been alive for 60 years and you have let yet to live it all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's interesting, because, like, he does a little bit in the past, and it's like, I think, so the, the Muppets version has the Marleys as... Statler and Waldorf. So there's two Marleys, not just one. Mm -hmm. Very catchy number. Uh, but it's an interesting contrast to the book because it is like a little more of a comedic number. They're still ragging on Scrooge. Mm -hmm. And they're like giving him this warning. But in the book, it is like a plea of desperation. What is mm -hmm. compelling about the spirits and like the fact that Scrooge looks out and sees more spirits, not just Marley in this moment is that mm -hmm. what's hell for them is they're not just suffering all of them are still trying to help other people now that they've realized that it's too late to and mm -hmm. that is like what's at the core is like helping others and being there before it is too late that is the regret that all the different spirits have it's not just wow i'm suffering because i did this and now i'm in hell i'm suffering because there is a regret that i cannot fix now Mm -hmm. yeah. and like the ghost what of christmas past leans into that too because there's a scene that we don't get 
in the Muppets adaptation. We get when love is gone and that's the last we see of Belle. And that's when Scrooge is like, take me home spirit. I don't want to, I don't want to see this one. I don't want to see what's next. But we get a second scene with Belle in the book that's still within the past, but it is afterwards because the spirit takes Scrooge to see Belle and her husband and their many children and it is very much like a this could have been you but you blew it <laughs> you blew it and you didn't even fight for it like mm-hmm. just the way the way she leaves him is like listen we've already broken up you've already become someone different than a person I could love and different from the person who hypothetically could have grown to love me. You, you've already kind of like blown your chance at being a real human being forever. Mm-hmm. Yep. And <laughs> the, just the kind of, I don't know. There's, there's the discussion of, you know, this idea of this idol and you've, you've replaced me with his golden idol and this, this idea of avarice, but it, it, it's hard. It's, it's harsh. It's, it is in some ways, one of the sharpest things in the story, I think, potentially even sharper than Jacob Marley, who is, as, as we say, kind of doing this out of compassion and I guess Belle might be doing it out of compassion, but she's also, like, <laughs> doing it out of, like, you've blown your chance and you'll never get a chance again. Like, mm-hmm. the I'm breaking up with you and you will never find love combination is just so, it, it cuts so deep in, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of extra things that the ghosts show i think an interesting thing that also gets kind of taken out of as far as i know most adaptations is the fact that the ghost of christmas present then goes on to show Scrooge just like a bunch of other different things that like yeah. we gloss over it's just like and then they it takes went the and scenic saw... route <laughs> uh-huh. it's like here's these 30 other different christmases you have this kind of panoply and then we'll get into the the doom then we'll get into the uh yeah. the yet to come yeah it <coughs> takes like this long journey not just to show scrooge the christmases that are relevant to him but to show him just like in general he takes him to see like sailors on a ship still celebrating and things like that to be like hey there's a lot of ways to do this how do you feel about the pacing of the book versus the pacing of the movie? I think... I think there are elements of the movie where because there are these interjections and goofs and Muppet-style bits, mm-hmm. it disrupts the pacing a little bit. I think most of the changes that are made are for pacing reasons for film versus book of, like, having Fred still be there when the solicitors show up asking for Mm -hmm. donations, combining that, um, combining giving the turkey to Bob Cratchit and the why aren't you at work into one scene 
instead of the turkey being an anonymous gift. And then the next morning when Bob comes in late to work doing the scare of, well, you're late. I'll have mm-hmm. to give you a raise. Mm-hmm. I felt like in the like downside of pacing, the the rats dancing and penguin skating section. Yes, the penguin felt, skating section. It felt so long on my most recent <laughs> watch. I was like, I don't remember this scene at like it's just it doesn't stick in your head until you're watching it for like taking notes yes. and, and everything. You're <laughs> like, this is so long. There's the- so much Rizzo the rat. <laughs> And the penguin skating is just such a long interlude. And it's, like, not even, like, a dance break in the musical number. The musical number just stops for these penguins to ice skate. And we're doing a funny bit with our, like, puppets where you get to see the whole body of the puppet rather than Mm -hmm. just, like, the, the waist up or anything like that. But it's, like, that's not a funny enough of a joke. Are there people who really love the penguins for the Muppets? And like that, they're like, it's my guys. It's the penguins from the Muppets. I don't know. It's interesting that so I always try to do a little research into the production process before Mm -hmm. an episode. And originally this was going to be a parody. It was going to be like full Muppets comedy parody with, um, like, Miss Piggy as the ghost of Christmas present, and Animal as the ghost of Christmas future. And, um, I can see they that. decided, no, I we think... don't want to do that. We want to do something different and more connected, because this was the first production they did without Jim Henson. Mm, um, so it was sense. his son who directed it. Uh, and sort of the two main things that led it to the route that they had now is Jim Henson's son was like, read the book and was like, wow, like we need Charles Dickens in this. Who needs Mm -hmm. to be Charles Dickens? This should be Gonzo. We need to include this narration throughout it. And then when he talked to Michael Caine about playing the role of Scrooge, Michael Mm -hmm. Caine went, I'm going to do this, but also I'm going to play it. Like I am part of the Royal Shakespeare company. This is how I am playing this role. If you hire me. I appreciate elements of Michael Caine's performance. Comma. I wish he did it more like he was in the Royal Shakespeare Company. Because the first half of the movie, and in general, he's just too funny. Like, he's doing comedy. He's doing, like, snarling bad guy. But, like, he's doing bad guy in a Muppet movie comedy he's doing um he's doing this like slightly like snarling villain but also like funny villain funny villain in a muppet movie like joan cusack in it's a very merry muppet christmas movie sort of like like he's doing parody he's not doing direct scrooge who wouldn't do these like set up punchline where like the the punchline is the meanness he would just be mean if that makes sense it's interesting because i wonder if that is less his performance and more the function of how they adapted the script yes 
that is very likely the case. Because like, you can tell that he is, like, trying to go dramatic, mm-hmm. serious with it. So I think that when that disconnect happens, it is more, like, the function of the script. Because Scrooge is not a funny guy. It even, like, Dickens even points out in the, there's more of gravy than of grave mm-hmm. line mm-hmm. in the book. He goes, Scrooge was not a joking man. This was a panic response was for mm-hmm. him to make this joke. In one of my notes is, like, I think it's reasonable to include comedy in the first act mm-hmm. to help, you know, like segue, you know, help, help bring the audience into this, this particular space. I just would have kept all of the humor or as much of the humor as possible in like Charles Dickens and Rizzo. And yeah, out instead of... of like his employees with mm-hmm, their little mm-hmm. bits. Yeah. I I really, if I was going to make one big change, I would take out all of the other clerks and, like, leave it to Bob Cratchit and, like, in this very cruel kind of subsistence existence rather than, than all the rats with their comedy. I don't think their comedy mm-hmm. works as actually very funny. And I think it undercuts how cruel Scrooge is actually being, which then mm-hmm. undercuts how nice he is by the end. Yeah, they almost have to go to extra lengths to try to make Scrooge seem as cruel as he is in the book, where he comes off as that very naturally, but instead they make him almost comically cruel in some of the changes, where, like, like Bob Cratchit doesn't really actually have to fight to get Christmas off Mm -hmm. in the book. Scrooge like stops him and goes so i expect you you want all of tomorrow off don't you and like and gives like, it to him but he makes bob cratchit feel guilty and shitty about it first and he's like so if i stopped half a crown for it like you know if i give you time off and i don't pay you if i give you time off and it costs you money how how much is this worth to you bob cratchit mm-hmm. how much is is the chance to go to church <laughs> with your family uh uh worth to you for for this christmas day yeah one thing i think the adaptation did really well though on is in general the ghost of christmas yet to come especially the scene before you get to the the gravesite that scene for me in the book goes long mm-hmm. um it just doesn't feel it doesn't situate you in a particularly magical place the way the two previous ghosts have. And as a result, you're kind of left, especially as a reader who doesn't live in kind of 1800s London. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, what should I be like drawing from these connotations besides somebody's dead? I don't quite get like the meaning of what I'm seeing it, it it isn't quite evident the way like here's the ghost of Christmas present here's the horn of plenty here's all of these like things described in all of this detail and then we get to these scenes with like you know people complaining about the funeral people complaining about the stuff for from Scrooge and it's just it's dour and sad without having I think the right sort of context to feel tragic as a reader. 
And I think the movie or this particular adaptation does a really good job with the pacing on those scenes Mm -hmm. to get the feeling to the reader. I think those are also, you know, uh, we get uh, Charles Dickens and Rizzo being like, we're going to take ourselves away from the scenes, right? Yeah. And then they're like, we're back, like we promised later. I think that's such a a smart decision for, for that section. Yeah, there's no way they could have intercut that narration <laughs> and comedy and have it land the same way. And I think by like doing that, it also creates the same kind of tone of doom and anticipation because it's so much quieter and we really get into Scrooge's head the same way in the book of he is so oblivious to the fact that this is about him, that this is his funeral. These are his things that are being sold. And it's one of those things where like reading it now, I wonder if like that disconnect and noticing it, whether that is supposed to be there or whether I just notice it now as someone who is familiar with the story. Like did people on their first read when this first came out have that moment of Scrooge, they're talking about you clearly. Or whether that is now, like, a cultural assumption, because we know they're talking about Scrooge's death. I think if I were to make any changes to this particular adaptation, I would generally keep the scene structure in place. I'd be willing to make the concessions and compromises that we've talked about with the Ghost of Christmas past, and keep what we see for the Ghost of Christmas present, because I think that that's that's done well for an adaptation to focus on these particular things. I would cut the penguin skating and the extra <laughs> other clerks besides Bob Cratchit and everything. And I would put in like maybe 15 extra lines of dialogue from either Dickens or Scrooge or both just lifted from the story. Mm-hmm. Because I do think one of, if you haven't read Dickens or if you haven't read Dickens since you were forced to in middle school or high school mm-hmm. and therefore have never like enjoyed reading Dickens, I do recommend A Christmas Carol as like extremely accessible Charles Dickens and also Charles Dickens at some of his best as far as writing. It's he does really a lot good. with language. Mm-hmm. It's extremely well done. And I do think like, That is probably one of my favorite aspects of The Muppet's Christmas Carol, is that, like, a good 90% of Gonzo's dialogue is directly lifted from the book as Dickens' narration. There is this kind of running bit that I think I notice because I've been rereading A Christmas Carol a lot the past six months, Uh, (laughs) and because I pay attention to these sorts of things. Uh, which is the use of, like, iambic pentameter, which Dickens is not writing in, like, verse. Dickens is not mm-hmm. writing, is Dickens is not intentionally trying to write the story in either, like, Shakespearean or, like, Miltonian or Spenserian, like, style of, of, of verse or anything. But there's a lot of these little lines from the story of, um, like... Without a word of warning from the ghost. Or, my life upon this globe is very brief. Uh, that, like, that have this very nice punchiness to it. That have a a kind of ring and rhythm to them. 
that make them very clear, very easy to like say and hear in, in your head. And it's very silly to say, but like, I really think the use of like meter and rhythm in the language in this story makes it very accessible to like kids. <laughs> Like, yeah. makes it very, like, here's one good sentence. Rather than a paragraph to extol something, here's one good sentence that tells you this thing. And maybe my life upon this globe is very brief. Is, like, like you could say that I will only be here a short time. <laughs> or, like, I will be here 60 more minutes or something. <laughs> but, like, you can say that and, like, because of the poetry to it, Anyone who's like listening and reading will be like, oh, I got to experience some poetry and understand what was going on. And it has this kind of rhythm to it that makes me like feel good about the English language. <laughs> if yeah. yeah, it's just a genuinely good book. And it's not like that long of a read either. Mm -hmm. I'm a big proponent of uh good short fiction you know <laughs> we talk a lot about um the the works of the argentinian magical realist uh jorge luis borges over on el pod for Castmas. and some of borges's short stories are like the front and back of one page like <laughs> it, it it is great one thing i think looking at adaptations in general is the best adaptation is the one that gets people to engage with and consume this story which means yeah. if people aren't going to read the book a, a movie that cuts out big parts of the book can still be something that allows people to engage with the story a short story a short book oftentimes can allow more people to engage with it and so you have more kind of leeway with the adaptations then where you're like hey i watched a muppet christmas carol you know, once when I was a kid, and then I watched it a few times as an adult, or I watch it with my kids. Oh, what if this year we read A Christmas Carol? And then you can do that over like a morning. It really exactly. is not, not that long to read. It's so fast, and you can engage with it. And also, it is that kind of thing where if you have only seen The Muppet Christmas Carol, and then you start to read it, you have that moment of oh, I recognize these lines because so much of it is just di lifted directly from Dickens's prose. Which isn't that common for an adaptation, especially when so much of the prose is narration. Mm -hmm. I mentioned it before, and I just want to reinforce again how good a decision it was to cast Gonzo as Charles Dickens. To have Charles Dickens in this story, I think Gonzo is such a great choice. And having Rizzo there means that Gonzo, like, Rizzo has this, like, chaotic energy such that Gonzo can be the, like, the Kermit, the the, the order. You know, if you have yeah. the chaos, and, chaos Muppet, Order Muppet thing, Gonzo is now an Order Muppet, which is yes. a really interesting sort of thing. And as a result, you end up with kind of at any point in this movie... You have three narrators who can help you with exposition. You can have the ghost at a point in time who's like remarking upon something. You can have Scrooge himself remark and say, oh, this is where I did this thing. Oh, this is, you know, Scro Scrooge is, is exclaiming and remarking. And you have a third narrator in the form of 
gonzo as charles dickens who can just say and then this thing happened and so you've got this filmic language and you have the language of the puppets but you also have this extra expository elements you have this this narration available to you that isn't that available in other movies without having like an ivan reitman style like voiceover Mm -hmm. like I bet you're wondering how I got here, sort of, you know, like... Yeah, and they play with it in really fun ways throughout by having Rizzo be like, how do you keep doing that? And Gonzo mm-hmm. being like, I am a narrator. I know everything. That's narrator's omniscience, kids. <laughs> um, I found, in doing my research, I found a series of interviews in The Guardian with a bunch of people involved in the process. And one of the people they interviewed mm-hmm. was... Uh, Gonzo's actor Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to find the exact quote but he was basically like when he started doing Gonzo he was this very like sad anxious character that he was projecting himself onto because he was very much like how did I get involved in show business I don't feel like I belong here and as he started to get more comfortable with it he built a new Gonzo who could look excited and that started the like zany daredevil aspect of gonzo and then Mm -hmm. specifically with the christmas carol once they cost cast gonzo as dickens that started uh what gonzo's actor refers to as gonzo's soulful phase Mm. um and it was a moment where he really like changed with himself as well in putting this character in i think that's really interesting like the sort of connection between the people and the puppets especially because this was like because this was Brian Henson's first film that he was directing, because it was the first thing that the Jim Henson company did without Jim Henson, Jim Henson had died like two years before the movie came out. It was this big production of how do we keep this on? This is all of our Mm -hmm. life's work. We can't just stop doing this. What's this going to look like without him? It was the first time someone different is playing Kermit. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I really do think the Muppets, they bring a lot extra, you know, for all of the the downsides that I'm like, oh, I I think we cut this thing. Oh, do do we really need these Muppets in? (laughs) Uh, Was it Bunsen and Beaker? I think are like mid here, like Mm -hmm. just really, uh, the Swedish chef is fine, but we could cut that. Uh, At the same time, some of the Muppet roles are so good and so evocative. Mm-hmm. I think Animal is very funny in yes. Animal's part in, in this movie. I'm glad he, he that Animal is not a ghost. He takes the place of the Fiddler, essentially, because <laughs> in that scene in the, the book, they talk about the Fiddlers going, like, ham on the music <laughs> and stops, chugs a porter... <laughs> and becomes a whole new man and goes right back into it for the next song. And having Animal as that stand-in on the drums mm. is just a great parallel. And starting with the triangle and doing that, I think, like, that works as a comedic moment, as a, like, Lotsi on its own. The Lotsi mm-hmm. of the animal is, is is very good. I think Miss Piggy does a really great job. I think it would have been interesting to have her as one of the ghosts, but I'm so glad that she's able to be more of a character and then bring this character to... We know the Cratchits love each other because we know (laughs) Miss Piggy and Kermit love each other. Yeah. And that's a 
a really good use of that. sexually dimorphic children. <laughs> you know, <laughs> shrug. I, <laughs> but I will say, I like reading A Christmas Carol. I like being around it as a story. It doesn't make me cry. This movie makes me cry. Yes. Like every time. <laughs> Tiny, Tiny Tim, Tim singing. <laughs> I am just like tears coming down. And then when they reveal it, Tiny Tim is 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 dying or dead. Mm-hmm. And and they're talking about life being full of partings, meetings and partings and everything. And I cry. I cry so much. It's it is evocative and moving. And it uses the Muppets in a really great way. This is probably the best adaptation of A Christmas Carol that we will see in our lifetime. Almost definitely. And it's also like, they came out swinging because this was also, like nowadays you have people being like, all right, if we did a Muppets version of this, what Muppets would you cast for XYZ? This was the first time they did that. The Muppets Christmas Carol is the first time they had the Muppets not playing themselves in a movie Mm. or tv show that makes sense yeah which i think is why we get some of the ones that are just so chef's kiss well done and then they're still figuring it out with some of the other muppets like with the bunsen and beaker bits be like where do these guys actually fit Mm -hmm. in um but yes tiny tim makes me cry and i think one of the best deliveries in the muppets movie is so accurate to the book because of the tiny Tim who did not die because (laughs) in the book that is the line and the not is in all caps I have my copy right here and I'm like wow they did the delivery identical (laughs) it really is and like you couldn't get that without a Charles Dickens character exactly You wouldn't have had that without the narration to be like, Mm -hmm. yep, Scrooge was a second father to Tiny Tim who did not die. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Gosh. I I wanted to share one more thing that may or may not go in the podcast, but um, have you ever played Neopets? I haven't, but I listened to Marn talk about it a decent amount. (laughs) So one of the reasons why before Emma asked me to come on Unnatural Selections, I had already been rereading A Christmas Carol <laughs> is because my Neopets are all... Uh, I've been building a like uh, a, a Christmas Carol set of, of Neopets. These are are my pet... Like, their names are... are you know, I've... I've um, I have a, a, a Vandagire named uh, Strong Coil, uh, which, you know, the, the weight and length of the strong coil that you bear yourself. Mm-hmm. I have a Halloween Grundo with a big scythe, who's my, like, uh, my, my Christmas Vandagire is, of course, goes to Christmas present. I have a Halloween Grundo with a big scythe-worthy place, because when Scrooge comes to, to the, the grave site, he goes, a worthy place. <laughs> uh, I, it's, a Christmas Carol is so near and dear to my heart. This is so great. The idea of Scrooge, Marley, and then th- the three ghosts is such a compelling vision for like archetypes and characters and 
just like storytelling tradition that I think has stronger resonances to it and has more availability to do interesting things with it than even something like a Wizard of Oz story where you have, oh, Dorothy the witch and, you know, the, mm-hmm. the Lion Tin Man sort of stuff. Than some of, you know, these other kind of archetypical shapes of stories where you have somebody and they encounter all these different characters and everything. Because A Christmas Carol is fundamentally a story about reformation, about redemption, about uh, compassion and connection and care and loving and Christmas, which are all things that I think we could all use a little bit more of in our lives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, I always think, I especially after rereading it, whenever I reread it, I think about when people are like, wow, we need to send the these ghosts to the billionaires. And I'm like, <laughs> it wouldn't work the same way because the billionaires are all about their opulence and spending yeah. and Scrooge is not even letting himself spend a penny on himself to be happy. Yeah. <sighs> but like, Still send ghosts to scare billionaires. <laughs> At least give it a shot. I'm going to officially say no comment. <laughs> uh, just a f- few other fun things about uh, A Christmas Carol and about this movie. I thought this was like everybody's most beloved adaptation, but I think that might actually just be like our general cohort and everything. Because... Yeah. It's only got a 77% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is like positive, but I was expecting like like a 95. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, who who is criticism of this movie? And it turns out in part because it was kind of the first post Jim Henson, some people were like, this is bad because it's, it's different than the way Jim Henson would have done it. Yeah. Like that was a, that was a thing that came up in like negative reviews when the movie first came out. A weird fun thing about it though is the soundtrack for the movie actually charted like on Billboard. I believe that. <laughs> it's good music. It, it is really good music. Wherever you find love, it really does feel like Christmas. I, I do wish the, like, we have the whole setup of One More Sleep Till Christmas that I think would pay off better if we had that kind of like time travel element, like we mentioned. Yeah. Uh, if it's that, that the would... one more sleep and it's like, uh oh, Scrooge has had four. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other interesting thing is a Christmas Carol is itself an adaptation in some ways of I mean you could say like of like the Christmas story with like the three wise men but I don't I don't mm-hmm. think that's the case. Um an earlier Dickens paralogue titled The Goblins Who Stole a Sexton, which is a short story that a character tells in the Pickwick papers, where it's this like Christmas story where somebody's visited by like these three goblins who then like reshape their life but it's goblins instead of ghosts. And there's like grave digger element and all of these things. Oh, I uh, love that. Dickens went, mm, let's, let's do this again. Let's do a remix. 
let's let's make this a little bit more broadly encompassing and like very clear I, I wouldn't call it didactic but like like very clear politics in this very clear commentary mm-hmm. in in the story which you know I I value well-written stories with clear politics and clear commentaries I think they have a a big place in classic literature uh, we're discussing Les Miserables this month over on Avi Podbrakasmus in like that's a story that has some very clear politics to it. Oh yes. <laughs> mhm. Pretty obvious commentary. I'm curious what you think of the the portrayal of nephew Fred and the the present party with that in the movie because I have a couple of thoughts on that scene. In other adaptations I have seen, that scene is so long because they're like playing this game and they're doing right. all these guesses and, and doing all this stuff and you've set up all these different things, you're doing all the different stuff. I find Fred in this movie charming and I think that scene is Fred at his best. I dislike Fred a little bit because I'm like, well, why is he there? In, in the first act, I'm like, he, he should be there, but then he shouldn't be there for this, this next scene, but he's just still there. Mm-hmm. But I think in The Ghost of Christmas Present, I'm, I'm totally on board. Um, okay. I, 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 think, I think the human actors, they choose that scene, and that the fact that, that scene is Muppets and humans together, I think it works well. I'm really glad that those aren't celebrity cameos, which I think if it yeah, was done they today, could have. <laughs> that would be like, you know, X actor and Y actor. And it'd be like, yeah, great. But what if they were characters instead of actors playing themselves? Mm-hmm. I, maybe that's not a great <laughs> like <laughs> exception to take because, you know, the Muppets have plenty of history of, of different things. Right. But um, what, what do you think about the uh, the the guessing game with Fred? I, I think you're right that sometimes it goes on way too long. But I think it is almost... I think it needs just like a few more seconds in that I think Fred comes off as too cruel in the mm. guessing game mm-hmm. because it skips past like his defense of Scrooge as well. It it skips over when someone's like, why do you keep trying? And he's like, that's my uncle. And he's a deeply sad man. And I want to give him the opportunity to be happy. Um, In a way where I think cutting that makes it harder to believe that Scrooge would want to reach out to his nephew afterwards. I think it eliminates that. Oh, my nephew dearly cares about me and comes off more as, well, my nephew did this and is now making fun of me at a party. I'm out of here. The thing that I was thinking is because we get Bob Cratchit defending him, you know, the founder of the feast and everything. Mm-hmm. If we got Fred doing it, then we get like this kind of reinforced sort of idea. In my head, I'm like, well, we get it from Bob. So do we need it from Fred? But I can see how that reinforcement would make sense. I think the scene seems a little bit cruel with with the guessing game, in part because Scrooge isn't cold and dark enough in the first act. He's just like a slightly mean, stodgy guy who just like 
hates Christmas rather than hating like people broadly. Fair. <laughs> if that makes sense. If he was more misanthropic, if he was more isolated and cold, if he was less funny um, at the beginning, if it was more like, fine, I will give you Christmas off, but like, this was a fight and you might lose you like you might seriously lose your job uh yeah. for asking this like if we get more of that coldness at the beginning then i think the guessing game where it turns out that scrooge is this like terrible animal i mm -hmm. i think that gets more deserving if that makes sense yeah i definitely get that i just i think there's the book has more of an emphasis on family than the movie adaptations do, I feel like. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, there is more of that focus on the Cratchits. And that is what people normally think of as well. They think of, like, Scrooge, Marley, the other ghosts, the Cratchits. They don't really think about the nephew being involved. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen, what is it, Fred Claus? Do you think Fred Claus is named Fred Claus because we have Fred in the... <laughs> <laughs> I have no Carol? idea, but maybe. Is, that's the Vince Vaughn one, right? Fred Claus? I Am think I... maybe. Came out like two years after Arthur Christmas. Totally unrelated. Yeah, Fred Claus. Vince Vaughn, 2007. Huh. Santa's bitter older bitter brother. Bitter older brother. <laughs> forced to move to the north pole to help santa and the elves prepare for christmas in exchange for cash oh my god <laughs> yeah maybe a movie we will never see yep <laughs> who knows um yeah and then like the other two i really like the ghost of christmas present puppet mm-hmm I like that mm -hmm. they do the size changing to the different spaces. Mm -hmm. I think they could have done a little bit more of it. Mm -hmm. But in general, it works very well. And I do like that they still have the ghost turning Scrooge's words back on him. Because I think that's mm -hmm. like a huge turning point for Scrooge. I think the special effects on all three of the ghosts are really well done. Uh, the, the flowy kind of underwater nature of the Ghost of Christmas past mm -hmm. this that size change effect on the ghost of christmas present is like really fascinating to watch and then the ghost of christmas future is just like puppetry i think is, is done very well mm -hmm. how do we feel about leaving out the ignorance and want i get it because i think disney would have been upset about it <laughs> I think that if they'd filmed it, Disney would have been like, if they took When Love Is Gone Out, Disney would have wanted ignorance and want out of there. Mm -hmm. But I do think that that's also... Like, they could have done some creepy child puppets for it, and it could have been very cool, and it is a moment of, like... The fact that, like, the emphasis on the one that Scrooge needs to be concerned about is ignorance, mm -hmm. I think is very interesting. And yeah. Do we think that? I guess one reason to potentially leave them out is if you think not not you, but like if the person mm -hmm. creating the the adaptation thinks that the depiction and argument of ignorance and want is in some ways particular to the time and place of a Christmas Carol. 
-hmm. And that while we still are dealing with, you know, ignorance and want in our present era, in our, our present time and place, the situation is different and it's harder to like kind of write or draw that parallel whereas like greed and misanthropy in individuals okay well we we can see that that's something that should that should be like fixed people shouldn't be mean and grumpy and people should love christmas yeah it makes it a little bit more timeless and universal but instead of it's like and there should be social programs to help children it's like yep that one's uh are you sure we want to be a promoter it's, and we'd be like yes but like yeah. uh, i imagine that could be a uh you know one one step too far if you're already trying to keep things to you know under 90 minutes yeah it was originally supposed to be a tv special as hmm. well um and then disney wanted a theatrical release and they were already operating like super under budget for it. And essentially, uh, Brian Henson was like, I shouldn't even be directing this. Like, I don't know how to ask for more money for this. And someone mm-hmm. else on the team went to like Jeffrey Katzenberg and was like, here is the deal. They are already making this with so little money. You give this poor young man anything he asks for. Aww. And Katzenberg was like, we got it and kept most of Disney out of the production at all. Like, I think Disney's only real step-in moment was removing When Love is Gone. That makes sense. I think they did a great job with the tools they had on hand. I think it's a good adaptation. I think you could probably get this down to 60 minutes. I don't think you could get get it down to 44 to do, like, an hour-plus commercials. Mm -hmm. But I think you could get this movie down to 60 minutes and not have it be that much worse yeah maybe yeah agreed because there are some moments where it's like okay this goof has been going on a little too long Mm -hmm. or we've gotten too many Rizzo the Rat goofs in a row and like I don't want to be like cut more things that are in the book but like you could cut the Fozzie wig scene entirely yeah because like, it, it is a fun scene but it doesn't even do what it functions to do in the book because mm-hmm. in the book it, you get to see scrooge apprenticing under a better boss you get to see him working with a different apprentice and you get to see like a past where he enjoyed christmas and had fun with it and Instead, the Muppet movie uses it to introduce him meeting the Marleys, introduce him meeting Belle, and to show him being like, why are we spending this much on a Christmas party? So it doesn't functionally do the same thing that it does in the book anyways. And one of the things that is in the book that I think is missing from most adaptations because adaptations don't follow it beat for beat and like have all of the scenes in the exact order with the same length and dialogue is especially throughout the ghost of christmas past in between each of these little things scrooge is like oh i could have acted differently this week in real life i could have constantly like wow i wish i'd given money to that caroler and the mm-hmm. spirit's like hey man why'd you just sigh and he's like i wish i had been nicer to those solicitors earlier today i I I could have done something i could have said 
Merry Christmas to Bob Cratchit. I could have mm-hmm. said like just a nice thing to one of my clerks and it probably would have made both of our lives better. <laughs> and it just yep. these like little moments of reflection rather than having like particularly big changes, Scrooge changes by parts throughout the, the four ghosts. Yeah, he like makes the connections that he's supposed to be making and we get to actually see it happening. Instead of mm-hmm. just a man getting scared shitless and changing his mind, you get to see him <laughs> having... It's not that he's scared of the spirits and getting... Mm-hmm. Like, obviously he's scared during Christmas future, but what it more so is, is him having these moments of self-reflection. Mm-hmm. Not scare, getting scared out of its wits. It's him having that regret that all the ghosts in their chains are dealing with and realizing, I'm not dead yet. I can do something about the regret. I think if I were to do an adaptation of A Christmas Carol, I would, I'm thinking like a stage adaptation because like mm-hmm. I've never made a movie. I'm sure there's lots of extra you know, complications <laughs> and everything. And also you've got to do a length and all these different things. But I think for a stage adaptation, I would really, really want to focus on making Scrooge as cold as possible in the beginning and then have the story really be about him slowly, like, thawing out. Like, mm-hmm. like almost literally have, like, a bunch of icicles on stage and then have them, like, melting, like, in turn Ooh. throughout the, the course of the story. Like, and so when Scrooge has his big costume change at the end, his, like, his demeanor, his character, you'll, you'll have had this, like, and then his this softening as he goes through this whole journey and everything and then the big costume change at the end is like a confirmation of this change that like we've been able to witness on screen in his like visible character but you have to start cold as ice in order to make little changes meaningful in that way if that makes sense definitely um Speaking of costume changes and melting icicles, I do have a little note in here. Have you seen, um, like, the Rankin-Bass Santa Claus is coming to town? No, I have not. Very old, like, Santa origin story. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And there is a moment in it where Chris Keringle gives a toy to the Winter Warlock who's making all the snow. And he goes, no mm. one's ever gotten me a present before. And his heart melts. Uh-huh. And that's all I could think of when the solicitors give one of their scarves to Scrooge at the uh-huh. end. And it's I'm like, that's so not in the book, but it is this just a little the a way, gift for me moment. The way he says thank you, like, Michael Caine really is a very good actor. And he's yeah. doing a great job interacting with the Muppets. Those Muppets are I, real people to him. Uh-huh. Shout out to the Muppets. Shout out to one of the best, you know, modern forms of puppetry still around. So good. There's someone else I want to do a shout out to, and I have to Google the name. Frank I Oz, do... who does the voice of Miss Piggy, apparently. Yep. A thing I did not know.
This movie is like five actors plus Michael Caine. It, <laughs> it is... really is. Everyone is doing like six different puppets. Um, and they're all doing puppets they usually did. And they also split up the work of who is doing all of Jim Henson's puppets. Mm-hmm. Um, but the costume design, Polly mm-hmm. Smith and Anne Hollywood are who did the costume design for this movie. And it is... I've read a few different articles about how this is, like, the most insanely accurate, period-accurate Dickens costume design. And they didn't have to do that, because even the Muppets are wearing, like, period-accurate outfits. Even the flashbacks are changing what era of outfit they are wearing to, like, perfectly match the times. And Miss Piggy and Kermit as the Cratchits have outfits that are years that are a few years outdated because they're poor and can't afford new clothes. So their outfits are outdated for the time period. And there was just such an insane, intense attention to detail spent for all of the costuming in this movie. Shout out to them. I am not a historical costuming aficionado, but I have been roasted on more than one occasion as dressing like the human characters in the Muppet Christmas movie. (laughs) Like, I literally have, like, I do these layered blanket shawls, and I love wearing Christmas colors and and things. It's it's a great aesthetic for me personally. (laughs) But yeah, that's just something that I love about the fact that it's, like, it is well known to be one of the most period accurate costume designs of like any Victorian era movie and they didn't have to go that hard for it being Muppets and yet they did that is really great to hear though and I'm glad you're able to credit them on the pod we we support uh costumers and the hard work that goes into it yeah um I'm trying to think if there's any other like big changes because i think most of the changes are very clearly like they've done this to condense for time condense for simplicity they've cut out the elder sister in the cratchit family which makes sense but also i do like that in the book because not only does it establish that like oh like this is the one kid that's old enough to be working she's working they're worried she's not coming home on christmas either and it Mm -hmm. sets up the gullibility of Bob Cratchit in a way that parallels with that final scene because they set up her hiding so that they can be like, nope, she's not coming home for Christmas. She's working and him getting like deeply upset about it and her popping out of the closet to go, no, I'm sorry, we were goofing, we were goofing, I'm here. And it sets up. That is like probably what plants the seed. Yeah, that's probably Mm -hmm. what plants the seed in Scrooge's mind to be like, Bob Cratchit, you're late. I was just thinking about how much I like, I I like focusing on, I like the way the movie focuses on Bob Cratchit and Tiny Tim together. Yeah. And that it's like Miss Piggy and all of the kids and then Bob Cratchit and Tiny Tim. I, I'm trying to remember her name. It starts with an M. What's the older, elder sister's um. name? 
The oldest sister. I like the goof that they do in the movie with the two younger siblings. Even though they don't have mm-hmm. the older sibling. They, Martha. Like, Martha. But they really That's play the with... The two younger ones, I don't think, even get a name in the book. They are just the mm-hmm. two younger ones. Mm-hmm. So they really play with that in the adaptation of being like, no, I'm Belinda. I'm Melinda. I'm You've mixed us up again because mm-hmm. the book completely has them as like throw away two other <laughs> children who are just excited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, Martha is the older sister. I, I think it probably would have been good to include her, but I also think it the movie works cutting her mm-hmm. out for, from the story. Agreed. Yeah. Speaking of coming in under 90 minutes. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I've i hit everything on my notes. Sweet. So. Then that was the last thing on mine. So let's come to our wrap up questions. You've already answered one of them throughout the <laughs> the pod because i normally ask if you made if you wanted to make like one change to this adaptation of what would you do mm-hmm. um which i is think we know penguins cut the penguins and the, and, and the rats keep the mice the mice are very cute uh, mm-hmm. jesus for us mises and add <laughs> like 10 to 15 more of just like the lines straight from the book um it is fun that like a lot of the songs pull from lines in the book like yeah uh and a thankful heart is like directly that's a thing that scrooge says about like how he's going to be from from now on mm-hmm. uh it's so nice but yeah that that that's my big change on a scale of one to ten how faithful do you think this adaptation is <sighs> controversial opinion i think i'm going to give this somewhere between like a nine and a ten which it seems weird to give it a ten when it leaves stuff out but in the idea of it must be an adaptation it isn't just a staging of of the book it isn't just like a live reading of of the book i think it hmm no now i'm going back because like all of the criticisms i have about you know particular things about scrooge I'll give this like an 8.5. Nice. Yeah, I I agree with that because I think there are some moments that it misses, but especially like taking it in context with other Christmas Carol adaptations, mm-hmm. that inclusion of Charles Dickens really puts it over the line. Absolutely. And then do you think it's a good movie? Yeah, totally. I'm uh, trying to think of I was going to say something about Disney Plus, and then I'm like, I don't have anything interesting to say about Disney Plus. If you <laughs> have Disney Plus through somebody, you can watch it. If not, you can find some other way to watch it. Don't don't get Disney Plus just to watch this. Disney doesn't need your money. But so true. It is available for streaming on Disney Plus if you happen to have a login. And they do have the full extended version on Disney Plus, so you don't have to do what I did, which was pause the movie, watch the cut song, unpause the movie. Actually, I believe it's in the extras. It is in the extras, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my final question is, is it a good adaptation? Does it use the medium well? Yeah. 
yes, I think this is about, a, a, given the constraints of movie making, which is, it's a bunch of people who have to come together and a lot of things have to go really right for you to successfully make a movie. Given all of those constraints, this is about as good a movie of A Christmas Carol as you could make and actually get it made. So I think the answer to that is like a definitive yes for me. Nice. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for being on the episode, Juliet. This was awesome. Do you have anything you would like to plug? Any, obviously a show or any social media? <laughs> sure. Uh, you can find me and my writing at Folly on Co-host. You can catch me on I'll Be Pod for Castmas, wherever podcasts are found, but also at Christmas on Co-host. Yeah, that at Christmas. It's very fun. Sweet. This winter, this this December, we are covering Carly Rae Jepsen's It's Not Christmas Till Somebody Cries alongside Victor Hugo's Les Miserables, uh, <laughs> as well as a Jorge Luis Borges short story, The Form of the Sword, that I am I'm really excited for. These these are are fascinating pieces of work. I I read Les Miserables. <laughs> You don't need to read Les Miserables to appreciate and listen to these episodes. You can have just listened to the musical. We intentionally went in with a, the musical is the level of like knowledge and information that we are like starting with, because for most people, that's what Les Mis is. I think that that also, you know, is an interesting thing for, for adaptations. I, uh, that's, that's the, the, the big ones you can check out the office hours podcast where we'll have our game of the year discussion coming out soon over at patreon.com slash moonshot network awesome <laughs> I, I i'm trying to think if there's any other plugs those are the that's the big those, ones those are the big ones yeah become a patron <laughs> become a patron for moonshot you get to listen to office mm -hmm. hours you get to listen to once missed wonders you get to um, listen to the campsite recording of the Twilight episode. Yes, of I keep forgetting to actually put that on the Patreon. I need to send that to Marn. <laughs> I've been putting it off. Uh, yeah, you get to hear the 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 Magstock edit of mm -hmm. uh, the Twilight episode, which does include people interrupting us and asking if we've seen one of the scavenger hunt stops. <laughs> Very exciting. Um, it really makes you think. In really a way, aren't think. other people vampires? Because they take your time. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but yep, you can you can find me on Twitter still at MSCA. That's E M A T S C A. You can find the show at Unselect Pod. The music for the show was composed by Jake Loringer. You can find more of his stuff at amaranthine.bandcamp.com. Uh, and as always. Let us make your movie. And happy holidays, listeners. Happy holidays. God bless us, everyone. <laughs>
The French Revolution is the most important step of the human race since the advent of Christ. Are you going to counterpoint the part where I say that Jean Valjean is Santa? Maybe. (laughs) The mouse plus the cat is the revised and corrected proof of creation. To accept that it really isn't Christmas until... Until somebody cries. Exactly. Ho, ho, ho. You are putting the Thunderbolt on trial. Hi, I'm Juliet. And I'm Catherine. And we're I'll Be Pod for Castmas, a seasonal podcast where we overanalyze Christmas pop songs and put them into conversation with some unlikely pieces of literature. This December, we're covering Carly Rae Jepsen's It's Not Christmas Till Somebody Cries, alongside Victor Hugo's Les Miserables, and also just the Les Mis musical. Don't be a cringe. Or Javert. Join us on I'll Be Pod for Castmas on the Moonshot Podcast Network.